Lord, I ask you to touch this service today. I thank you, God, for giving us such strong women in our lives to anchor us, to hold us down, God. I thank you for what you've done already in this service, God. I thank you for the sweet, repentant spirit that's in here today. God, I thank you for what you're going to do, God. And I ask that you and not me give this, this, uh, this lesson this morning, God, that it is your words and not mine. And God, we just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have any of y'all ever had a plan? You have a plan, you had, you had a plan to go to school. You had a plan, you had plans for your kids. You, have, have y'all had plans? It's, this is, you can't talk back. You can say yes. Is this the 9 a.m. service or what? I mean, well, I had a plan. Well, actually, it was not my plan. It was Kelly's plan, and Kelly drafted me into this plan, and this plan was for me and him to not have man boobs, okay? <laughs> this was the plan, okay? It was a very methodical plan. He sought out the help of Kelsey Moss, which is in the place today, bro. How you doing? He sought out him, and this man right here, I didn't know who he was. I knew who he was. I didn't know the level in, of intensity that he brought to a workout. Okay? If you don't know Kelsey Moss, well, let me give a brief description. It's like the Roadrunner and the Tasmanian Devil had a baby and uh, met up with Dennis Rodman, and that's that dude. They take it. Hey, his, his uh, Arkansas good looks and charisma is only met by his intensity. Okay? Well, this guy, I didn't know this. I don't know. Obviously, hey, my wife bought me a new shirt to wear just for this occasion for Mother's Day. I went to put it on this morning. I put it on, and I tried to butt, and it was obscene. Y'all, I'm telling you, if I would have wore this shirt, it would have offended somebody. <laughs> that would have been like, you should not wear that shirt. You better go get a sports bra on or something, young man. <laughs> I don't agree with your choices. So, anyway, I'm go we're on our way to the gym. I'm drinking my little pre-workout. I don't, obviously, I don't know a lot about working out. I think we're going over there. Pre-workouts, if you're lifting weights and doing all that. I didn't know that we were going to enter into a high-intensity workout session with David Goggins. I had no idea. So we get there, and Kelsey is telling us what to do, and we're doing all these things back and forth. i got to watch. I won't be able to teach. I'm not in good shape, Kelsey. But we're doing it back and forth. And Kelsey is, he is inspiring us is one way of saying it. You can do it, man. Just keep on. Come on, Casey. You got this. And I'm like, you're right. I do got it. I think I do got it. And then all of a sudden, I felt the waves of nausea overcoming me <laughs> as this pre-workout started to take place and started to work its way through my system. And I say, I think I'm about to puke, Kelsey. He's like, you got this. Quit being a sissy. And I'm like, okay, I got this. So I'm keeping on. Well, I had to puke. Okay, that's I had to go. I had to get it out of my system. I come back, and I think, I puked. He's going to leave me alone. He's like, all right, now get back in here. You puked. It's over with. Let's go. <laughs> I'm like, dang, man. You know, I got to see him again this week. I guess I got to try. So I kept trying kept trying. He's like, you got this. And I was like, I do got that. I got to go to the bathroom. You know you're at your all-time low when you're in the bathroom floor of a gym puking. <laughs> Not a very inspiring moment in my life. But I come back out, and Kelsey is giving me his best David Goggins again. But there was no inspirational speech that he could have gave me that would have made me win any further in that trip. I, I was not going any farther. I was like, 
I am out. I checked out. See, I had a plan. But ultimately, the plan wasn't my plan. It wasn't, I, I didn't really want to give it my all that day, even though I, I could have kept going. See, we have these places in our life. We have these plans for our life that sometimes are not our plans. Sometimes they're okay plans. Sometimes they are our plans. But the question is, is it God's plan? Is it God's plan? And how do we leave the wilderness? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is week two. So um, did you know that over 70% of the earth is covered by oceans? Sure you did. You're really smart people. Less than 30% of it is land. And of that 30%, one-third of it is mountainous terrain or vast areas covered with ice, glaciers, deserts. Now that would mean that approximately 80% of the earth is uninhabitable wilderness. See, the Pacific Ocean alone, it covers over 9 million square kilometers. I don't know why I did went with kilometers there. I do not know at all. I don't know the metric system, but I think that's a lot. <laughs> but God made this way, earth just the way it is. That would tell us that God has a plan for the wilderness in our lives. If that much area is covered by vast wilderness, then God has a plan for the wilderness in our lives. See, we learned last week that the wilderness is a place where things can get stripped away, where we're forced into a survival mode. It's often seen as a place where God can refine us. See, this week we're going to look at the book of Joshua. We, uh, anybody ever read the book of Joshua? Joshua is a great hero of the Bible. It's the story of a nation coming out of a wilderness journey that has lasted 40 years. 40 years, that's, that's a long time, in which the previous generation of people, they had all died. This, the grandparents and even the parents of many of them had died. Their disobedience made it where they would not and could not enter into the promised land. See, we know that wilderness can be a physical terrain, like mountains, forests, desert, what have you. But last week we learned that the word eremos in Greek, what it means is also it can be a place of darkness, loneliness, where we retreat inside of ourselves where we get trapped inside of our mind. It's something we experience within ourselves. It would be like living in a long period of dryness, darkness, loneliness. Do you think we're experiencing a period of dry, dark loneliness right now? I mean, I was born in 1980. I know I look much younger, but I was born in 1980. And just in that short time period, we have seemed to drift further and further away from God further and further away from God. And I think a lot of it is we're stuck with our devices right in our face. Me and Tiffany have to be very mindful when we're at home because it can be me on the phone Googling sports, looking for I'm an information junkie. Tiffany is on Pinterest or whatever else trying to find tasks that are impossible for me to do. <laughs> Baby, I think you, that you could do this, right? Yeah, of course I can. I'm a man. I'll do that. Hey, Ben, can you do this for me? Or Chloe will be on her phone watching YouTube videos or whatever she's watching, uh, New Cheers, or Kaylee watching ever, whatever Kaylee watches. And then we will all of us be in the same room, but none of us will be talking to each other. We are totally disconnected, and we're raising a generation that doesn't know how to connect with the person beside them. How can we expect to connect with God when we can't even connect with the person that's right in their face? There's no way we connect with an almighty God. I mean, it's hard enough to have faith in something that's not there. 
Tiffany's right there. If I can't put my phone down long enough to get to know what's on her heart, her loves, her passions, then how am I going to connect with an almighty father? See, the spiritual and physical wilderness is something we learned last week that Jesus experienced when he got tempted by Satan. The devil threw everything he could at Jesus. Threw every temptation he could. And Jesus responded, it is written. And Jesus stepped out of the wilderness and he stepped into human history into a life that would change the world forever. So when we look at the book of Joshua, we're seeing a people. They were slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. We are seeing a people led by Moses out of captivity and into freedom. And some call this the main redemptive event of the Old Testament. It's the redeeming of the people of Israel from the slavery of Egypt. <clears throat> they are redeemed. They're brought out of Egypt. They're set free. They're, they're set loose. Their captivity is over with. And they set course for the promised land. See, if you notice, if you've read the Bible any, you notice that there's foreshadowing in the Bible. And if you don't know what foreshadowing is, it's a literal event that points to an event that's going to come in the future. There's a lot of foreshadowing. This particular event, the Israelites being set free foreshadowed us being set free. I've heard it said that Moses came to take the people out of bondage. Jesus came to take the bondage out of people. Say so they mess up at the border. They mess up at the border of the promised land. And for the next 40 years, they wander the wilderness aimlessly because they would not trust God. I think it is no different for us. We'll find ourselves wondering when we refuse to trust God. Has anybody ever refused to trust God? And it could have been in the small ways. You know, we always think of it being a big, big way, but it could just be as little as not paying for that person's dinner, not listening to what he's telling us to do. So we can find ourselves in a long, twisting path of wilderness. But here's the deal. If we let it, it can refine us, it can prepare us. And God can lead us out of the wilderness. He will continually invite us to leave the wilderness. So what will it take this morning? What's it going to take for us to leave the wilderness? We're going to find out. Let's go to Joshua 1. And I'm going to skim through this because there's a lot. But first, I'm going to get a drink because I'll be like Fire Marshal Will in here. I'll be like, hey, let me show you something. Thank you. All right, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them, the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates all the way to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. We're going to hit on next seven. We just want to notice that every time God tells him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. So let's go down to 12. And then Joshua goes to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you the rest, give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. 
But all of your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. Here, here's what they're doing. Um, Joshua comes to him and says, hey, you know, ever, the Israelites are going to cross, but first you've got to help them. All you men that are ready for battle, you're going to go in front of them and you're going to help them cross. And here's the response. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he, he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. I, I don't have any flashy bottom lines this week. I'm just going to be straightforward. The number one point right here is obedience. If you want to leave the wilderness, be obedient. The different tribes there, they were obedient to Joshua. They were willing to help him fulfill their plan. We like the word obedience as parents, right? Mothers, do you like your children to obey? Here's my deal at the house. The more I want Kenley to obey, the more she disobeys. I'm like, Kenley, will you please do this? And she's like, me, 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 like, uh, Kenley, that is the opposite of what I asked you to do. Thank you for listening so good. You are my child. But that, when the word obedience is applied to us, it's a lot harder. I am a rebel by nature. I do not listening to what, listening to what people tell me to do. And my wife don't listen, like to listen to me at all. I'll just tell you that. She, whatever I tell her, here's what she will do. I will tell her something for months, and then somebody else will tell her, and she'll be like, do you know what D told me? He told me this right here. And I said, I've been trying to tell you that for months. Would you listen to me? It's hard to obey. You might have heard me say this before. Acts of worship or obedience. Your praise and worship, what we were doing earlier, earlier is obeying God. It's obeying God's command. When I'm doing this and I'm lifting him up, I'm, hey, Kelly pointed it out. Half the church came down here because they've been set free. They've been set free. I'm going to praise God for what he's done for me, no matter what, because I know where I came from. That's me being obedient to the Father because somebody else might need to see that. Somebody else, he's not ashamed to lift his hand because it's not about me. I promise you it's about somebody else. It's never about you. It's about him. We need to learn how to obey. The next point, lead. In order to lead the wilderness, stop following and start leading. See, Joshua had a career as Moses' assistant. That is so weird, man. There's so many S's. Moses' assistant. I don't even like that. Can't, I couldn't say it the first service. I mean, he spent 40 years doing this. He was Moses' assistant for 40 years. I don't know if he got a 401K. I don't believe he did. But that was his career for 40 years. For 40 years, he had taken his cues from Moses. He had watched him. He had been loyal when others weren't. He had learned obedience. He had learned patience from Moses. He'd heard Moses speak about God and, and about who God was and watched God work certain things out in Moses' life that gave him incredible faith. See, Joshua was a good follower. He had not only learned from Moses, but I would say Moses was like a mentor. Mentor to him. You know, in AA and CR, we call this being a sponsor. I think we're all called to be sponsors. 
You're saying, Casey, what do you mean lead? Well, I'm supposed to lead? Uh, I can't speak. I can't lead a class. Sometimes it's just you leading your family at home. Sometimes it's standing in the gap for what's right. Sometimes it's putting your arms around an addict that hasn't had any love whatsoever and saying, man, you know what? I love you and God does too. Sometimes that's being obedient. Sometimes it's paying for somebody's groceries when they ain't got anything. It's being obedient to what God wants you to do. It's, it's, it's doing what he... It, that is leading and not following. That's leading. Amen? See, Joshua, like I said, he was a good follower. But he started listening to the call of his life. And he started listening to the mentor that he had. And he became a leader. I think that is your purpose, to be a leader. It's your purpose to be a leader for your child. It's your purpose to be a leader for your friends. Why is this important? God gives us the commission, the great commission. He tells us to make disciples. What's a disciple? What's making a disciple look like? It's simply telling people what God did for me and telling them how he did it. See, I have mentors in my life. I have Pastor Kelly. I have Pastor Ben. I have other people that I allow to speak into my life. And I can guarantee you that Moses often corrected Joshua. But I have those people in my life now that can correct me, can tell me when I'm messing up. They can, I can learn from them. And then my, my thing is, is I'm supposed to do that to somebody else. It's a cycle. It's a lead, follow, lead, follow, because ultimately we're all following Jesus. Ultimately, we are all designed to follow Jesus, but we're all called to lead at some point in time. At first, we follow, we learn, we absorb from other people, and then we lead other people. Stop following and start leading. This was a 40-year process for Joshua. It just didn't happen overnight. Making disciples, leading, sponsoring other people is going to take time. It's going to take time. But God will move you and he'll move them to lead. Number three, breakthrough barriers. In order to leave the wilderness, there will be barriers to cross. God speaks to Joshua and says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. There were physical barriers. The Jordan at this time was flooded. They had to cross the Jordan. They had to cross an actual barrier. There were relational barriers. You and all this people, would they follow him like they follow Moses? Would they respect him? That's a big thing sometimes. Can I actually do it? Will people put their trust in me? I don't know if they will. There were territorial barrier, barriers to the land which I am given to you, which others presently occupy. See, it's a certainty that in order to leave the wilderness, there will be barriers. In fact, you know, to some degree, these barriers is what has kept us in the wilderness for this long in the first place. The thing about barriers is that they create fear because of what is unseen and Fear is what serves as a fence or a barrier. See, if I'm standing on this ledge and there is a gap right here, but on the other ledge is $1,000, but I'm really scared to jump that. The, the gap is not that very big. The barrier was not the space. It was the fear of the space. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of stepping into uncertainty and not knowing if we can trust God with, with our lives, with our plan. So whether the barriers in your life are physical I know there's certain people in this church that have physical disabilities. They have things going on that they're thinking, God, why me? 
Why did this happen? What, why, how can I actually be used? I can promise you this. God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste anything at all. If you're going through something, God will use it if you'll just give it to him. You might not have enough money. I know me and Tiffany often talk. We're like, man, I would like to have enough money to buy people cars and all that stuff would be so cool. But first, it'd be cool just to buy their groceries. See, God will increase. He will increase. If we start acting in faith, then God will allow us to do things. It might be, I don't have enough skill. There's no talent. I, I don't know. Uh, what is my talent? Your talent might be being loyal to somebody when nobody else has been there. That, may, that might, be, might be your bag. It could be relational earlier. Like I said, will they respect me? Will they forgive me? Will my family forgive me? Can't I lead them? It might be Territorial. That familiar country of temptations or guilt that says we're not good enough. A territory that we think belongs to the enemy. It's that territory that says, hey man, give up on your brother. He, we've all prayed for him for 10 years. You know, that's the enemy's. No, here, here's what God said. Never give up. Never give up. Keep pressing forward. I am going to do a miracle on that. And it's not up to you to save him. It's up to me. Just keep pursuing. Keep praying. Because... Because no matter what, if you pursue me, you're going to see my plan come into fruition. You've seen some of it this morning, actually. A lot of y'all don't know Bruce. I'm not going to call him out. I guess I just did call you out. So, Oh, well. <laughs> see, perhaps what... That was why God said to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. See, what would enable Joshua to move past the fear of the unseen, that gap, and unknown, was a willingness to trust what, had already, what he had already seen God do in Moses' life. He had been there. He had been through it all. He had already seen God move in miraculous ways. And then trust that God was going to guide his steps the whole way. See, if you will leave the wilderness, it will mean that there are barrier, barriers you will have to cross. But faith will overcome fear. My favorite speaker is a dude named Erwin uh, McManus. I don't know if any of you heard of him. I love his speaking. I love his writing. He actually said that uh, fear is a negative faith. See, we have faith that God's going to give us that job. We have faith that God's going to heal somebody. We have faith that we can overcome insurmountable odds, but we have fear that we can't get that job. We have fear that we are not good enough. We have fear, and it's just the opposite of faith. we got to be willing to say, God, you are enough. I know I'm not enough, but it's not about I, it's about you. It is good, man. Amen. Last point. Bob or Bob can come up here. Commit to God's plans, not God's plan, not yours. His plan, not mine. In order to leave the wilderness, you must remove your eyes. You're like, man, that's weird, Casey. Why would I remove my eyes? I was telling Scott this point <clears throat> this week. We were we were. Uh, met up here at the church and I was telling him he's like man that's really good I got a story of course he did Scott is like a hillbilly sage he is awesome I love him 
But he said, I got a really good story. I was at a, at a meeting and a guy told this story. Uh, a guy came in, he was new, and after the meeting, he was talking and he was, he kept, he was kind of running his mouth like new people do. And then an older guy, an old timer came up and he's like, man, your eyes are too close together. It's annoying. Just walked off. And the guy's like, what? That is the rudest thing I've ever seen in my life. He said the guy went home and he looked, started looking himself in the mirror and he's like, man, my eyes ain't that. Maybe my eyes are, are kind of close together. That's weird. Well, this guy grew in maturity over the next few years or however long it was. And he happened to go to a meeting where this guy was at again. And after the meeting, he came up to me and he's like, man, I'll just tell you, the first time I met you, you know, after the meeting, you told me my eyes were too close together. I just didn't really like that. I, I found that offensive. I really took that to heart. And the guy said, see, your eyes are still too close together. The guy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, every time I come around you, it is I this, I this, I me, 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 me. Until your eyes get further apart, then it's all about you and it's not about him. And you will never see the fullness of God in your life. And I thought this was interesting because when me and uh, Scott was talking, after I, I thought about it later, I was saying, man, I hope the message really hit home last week. I hope it landed. I, and I thought, man, it's not about you, Casey. It's not about how eloquent you speak. It's not about if you say, here's the deal 400 times. Because here's the deal. God has a plan. And ultimately, if I remove my eye and place him there, then there's no way that that plan is not going to succeed. There's no way. It's his plan. See, three times in verses 6, 7, and 9, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. See, let's not forget, Joshua was a trained warrior. He was battle-tested. Why did God think it was necessary to repeat this three times? Maybe, and this is just conjecture, but maybe it's because when Joshua risked his life earlier, it was just him. But now he was responsible for hundreds of thousands of people. He's thinking, God, you know, when it's just me, when it's just my life on the line, I'm good. But now I'm risking the lives of everybody else. Perhaps it was because Joshua, despite being a skilled leader, still felt the fear of failure. I know this to be true. You see Pastor Kelly up here, you see a very competent man. But I know him in his private life. And he beats himself, am I leading this congregation right? Am I doing this? But when we remove our eyes and say, God, I know I am here and I am not qualified to be here. So it must be you. So I'm just going to trust you. I know Pastor Ben and Amanda. They lead our youth every week. And they're questioning themselves sometimes. Am I preparing them to be adults? But when we start removing ourselves from the equation and totally relying on God see the fullness of God in our lives that is the plan that is the plan see maybe the reasons are that Joshua needed to commit to following God's person and plan despite any shortcomings he saw in himself despite any opinions that he might entertain despite any confusion that would most certainly he would encounter it was like God was putting a map in Joshua's hand and saying asking him you see which way to go? As Joshua kind of, I don't know. I, I, not uh, Chris Valentin said this. He said, 
God can sometimes be a light to your path. Sometimes he's a lamp to your feet. Most of the time, it's one step at a time into uncertainty, not knowing where you're going, but trusting in God that he's going to lead you there. But Joshua would nod his head and he'd say, then never quit following this map. Never quit following it for the route it's taking you to is me. Joshua needed that. He needed that resolve. Be strong. Be courageous. Have you ever heard the joy of the Lord is my strength? It doesn't say the joy of me is my strength. It says the joy of the Lord. So what God is telling uh, Joshua is be strong and courageous because it's not Joshua's strength. It is my strength. And I'm, I'm preparing you for a, for a dream you could never imagine for yourself. You could never imagine the plan I have for your life. He needed that resolve. See, the command to be strong and of good courage was essentially a command to trust God and to let God be his strength, to allow God to be his source of confidence. In some some respects, it was moving to a point of trusting God's plan may look like a lot like repentance. It will shift trust from yourself and your plans to God and his plans. That's just what repentance is turning around saying God you know what I've done it my way my whole life maybe it's just better that you take take the reins it was this strength of God and good courage in God that Joshua tells the people that in three days they will break camp in three days they're going to leave the wilderness crossing impossible barriers resolved to be used of an almighty God in three days they will enter into rest that God has planned for them but this is not rest like we're going to find in heaven it's the rest that is promised to a people that will leave the wilderness and commit to living a life that God has planned for them. A life of uncertainty, but a life filled with joy. The chapter closes with the people telling Joshua exactly what God had told him three times. Be strong. Be courageous. See, in Jesus we're invited to do the same thing. Jesus is our Joshua. Matter of fact, I talked about foreshadowing. Joshua actually is Yeshua. It's Jesus. He is our hope. For it's his courage and strength that when we follow him, it enables us to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable. Now, here's my favorite. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Joshua had a buddy named Caleb. Caleb was a wild dude. I love Caleb. They were the OGs left. They were the only ones going to enter into the promised land. Moses has been out, sent out the 12 spies. And two of them returned and said, hey, you know what? They are giants there. It is, it is massive. There's a lot we're going to have to overcome. But with God's help, not my own strength, we are going to do it. Ten of them said, no way. That's why they had to wander the wilderness. The Israelites suffered for this. They wandered the wilderness until they died. Joshua led, Joshua and Caleb led the next generation. They stepped into their calling. See, I talked about the foreshadowing. It keeps coming up. And I think this is certainly true of the Israelites, Moses, Joshua, Caleb. See, God set the people free from slavery. And instead of walking in the fullness of God's promises, they died without realizing God's full potential for their lives. The same goes for Moses. We always talk about Moses, and it's in the most high regard because he was an amazing man of God. He was a prophet of God. But he didn't even get to enter into the promised land because of his disobedience. 
That did not mean that God abandoned him. He just never got to fully realize the plan God had for his life. See, Jesus came to give us freedom. So when we get saved, we are free. But until we step into God's calling, until we step into what he wants for our lives, we will never fully leave the wilderness. See, the wilderness can be a place where we get lost in our heads. It can be that place where we retreat inside ourselves, tell us we're not good enough. It can also be that place that we're not fully putting all of our trust in God and what he wants for our lives. Where we're still trying to take control. Either case, when we step into the plan that God has for us, and when we remove us from the center of the story, we can see God move. The problem is, is we're the hero of our own story. When we place God at the rightful center where he needs to be, that's when we can see him move in our lives. That's when we can see him take control. We can start to live in the abundance. And we can move out of a life of mediocrity and step into a life of meaning. And you might say, well, what do you mean? I, 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 what do you, why are you saying my life's mediocre? I, I, if you work at a gas station, that's cool. If you work at a factory, that's cool. It's how you approach the job, not the job. There's sometimes I come here at the church and I am full of the love of God. And there's other times where, man, I just really have to put on the front. I approach this job with mediocrity sometimes. Not the meaning, not the calling that God has put in our lives. I don't get up and say, God, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me at all. What do you want to do? I want to, I want to do this job with meaning and purpose. That's what he's calling us to do, is to live with purpose. I watched this movie over the weekend called Air. Anybody seen the movie Air? Bo's seen it. I know he's seen it. Movie Air is the story of the Air Jordan. All right. I think this happened around 1984 and the deal was the first of its kind. So Matt Damon plays the guy that's selling the shoe. Right At this time, Nike was just a running shoe. Athletes uh, like basketball players really didn't take the brand seriously. But they were pitching this brand to Michael Jordan. He was going to have an exclusive shoe, all of his own. And that was going to be the first time ever. And Matt Damon is giving a Matt Damon speech. He's so good. But he said something to him. He said, a shoe is just a shoe until someone steps in it. Are you that person? And I think that's what God is telling us. A plan is just a plan until you're stepping in it. I have a plan for your life. But until you step into that calling, it's just going to sit there. I have a plan I specifically designed for you. See, Ben told you that I was wearing my dad's shoes last week. I'm very proud of these shoes. He took very good care of these shoes. But I cannot quite literally walk in my dad's shoes. I will trip and fall because they were not made for my feet. God has a calling for my life and my life alone. I cannot walk in Pastor Kelly's shoes. Pastor Kelly has his own calling. You have a calling. You have shoes that you need to step into. You have a calling that you need to step into. See, on this Mother's Day, I'm going to compare Joshua and Caleb and Moses to Connie Goins. A lot of you didn't know her. Some of you did. But that was my personal hero. You know, uh, you hear Pastor Kelly and my brother Chris talked about the relationship they had with my dad, and rightfully so. He was a great man, but I was a mama's boy. 
I said, come on. That's the first amen I got back there. Come on, mama's boy. See, her and dad got married at a young age. And they had Chris. And as a result of this, as a result of mom's faith, dad ultimately got saved. And they were very young when he got saved and they had their first kid. But they knew that they wanted to step into the calling of God. So they started youth, being youth pastors at Sail Creek Church of God. And then God put it on their hearts that they needed to pastor a church. So God sent them to 10 Mile, Tennessee on Highway 68. And you might have heard my brother Chris talk about it. He came and walked the old store with my dad. He's like, God, Dad, are you sure God really is in this? I don't know about this place. But they stepped into the unknown. They stepped into the unknown. They began to pursue their calling as pastors and leading this church community. There was a fear of the space, but they jumped into it and they pursued God diligently. See, mom walked through the joys and pains of raising four boys. And there's joys and there's pains. She got to see four of her sons married. She walked through three of them through divorces. She walked one of her sons through the death of a baby. She walked another one through just uh, my, my first daughter's here this morning. Actually, she walked through that and bringing her into our house and saying, hey, you know what? Your dad might be messed up right now, but I love you and I'm taking you in here. This, You have a home here. My mom would bring in anybody. Our house was always open. And matter of fact, there's a spirit I think she brought to my house because it's still like that. Our house is always open. She had the joy of getting to do that and the pain. She had the joy of being married to the love of her life for 44 years. That's amazing. I can only hope I get to do that. But she also had the pain of having to see my dad succumb to brain cancer and watching him slowly drift away. And then she could not grieve properly because she had a son that was out here living crazy and living wild and would not let her grieve. He was robbing, he was stealing, and he was heavily addicted to pain pills, and that was his way of grieving. So not only did mom not get to grieve, she had to worry about her son dying or going to jail. But still, she pursued. She was still walking in God's purpose. Here's the thing, that even though you're walking in the calling, you're still going to experience pain. You're still going to experience the wilderness. But God's hand is holding. You're holding his hand the whole way. Mom never gave up. And then a young girl came into her life with two other girls, started coming to this church. And me and this girl became friends and she was divorced at the time. Mom invited her to stay at the house, and I was wild as could be. And somehow, me and this girl, we're totally opposite, but, you know, I was incredibly attractive. So, so there's that. But we became friends. And God began to pour into her because although she was out of Egypt, she was out of slavery, she was still wandering the wilderness. She had been privy to a life of abuse that people telling her she wasn't good enough her whole life. She had just left a marriage where the husband said, hey, you are not good. You're fat. You're ugly. And mom said, hey, you're more than enough. God loves you. You are my daughter. Mom walked with purpose everywhere she went. That son, I, I ended up going to prison, but I got out. I got sober. 
I got married to that beautiful girl. Those two older girls started calling me dad. And that's a responsibility in its own. Mom got to see me teach my first Wednesday and before she died. That's right. She got to um, experience and see Kenley be born. She was uh, weeks away from dying when we got to tell her that we was pregnant again. We didn't know what it was going to be, but mom was so excited, but you could tell she was sad too because she wasn't going to get to see that promise. She was sad too. She, I remember telling her, she's like, for real? Mom never gave up. She never, never quit. She kept walking in the calling of God. She kept walking in the calling of God. See, my mom walked like both Joshua and Moses. She walked into God's plan, but she never gave up. Life led her through ups and downs, through winding paths. But God's plan is what she chose to step into. She walked to the wilderness and into the promised land. Much like Moses, God led him to the mountain so he could see the promised land even though he couldn't enter. Mom, uh, mom got to see her son set free. She got to see the hope that her other son was going to be set free. She got to see basically her vision, her and her dad, her and my dad's vision that God gave them be passed to her son and her know that it was going to be all right, that God was going to take care of it. She might not be able to see what's happening right now, but she got to see it from the mountain. She got to walk into the fullness of God. See, she was... Ten, ways, ten days away from dying and she sat right there where Zoe's sitting. And this is how she addressed knowing she was about to die. Actually, the song that was playing was Goodness of God that English did a dance to. And then you would say that somebody that is faced with the knowledge that they are going to die, how are they saying how good you've been? Because she had experienced God's goodness through the ups, the downs, the wilderness, everywhere else, and she knew. And I know what the devil was telling her right here. She'd say, Kenneth is gone. You are dying. I have won. I've got the victory. And mom, in a true Braveheart moment, in a true William Wallace moment, stood up here and said, devil, you know what? I may be going to die, but I can see the future, and I can see what's going to happen in Watts Bar Community Church. I can see what's going to happen in my family. And here's God's plan. God's plan is not my plan. And guess what? You lose. The only thing that would have been cooler if she was on a horse up here you know it it's about freedom see Joshua and Caleb were the only adult Israelites in that first generation who went into the fullness of God's calling <clears throat> they alone went into the land says surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land because they have not wholly followed me except Caleb and Joshua see Joshua would not only enter the land he would lead Israel into God's victory 
Then Moses called Joshua and said, said to him, You must go with this people to the land. You shall cause them to inherit it. See, Caleb would not only enter the land, he would still be strengthened by his faith in God, even in his old age. I love the story of Caleb. He knew God's plan for his life. It says here, this is, man, I want to say what I think it is, but I can't. This is a PG. This is so awesome. He said, here I am this day, 85 years old. Is it I am as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me? Just as my strength was then, now my strength is still as it was. I'm ready for war. 85 years old. He knew the promises of God for his life. He's saying, age is not a factor here. I know what God promised me, and until I'm dead, I'm going to fulfill his promise. Yeah, there might be giants there. There might be giants in the promised land, but guess what? I don't want this little place right here. I want that mansion up there. That's my place. You're going to have to get Caleb was a baller. I love Caleb. And like Joshua and Caleb, the other Israelites followed the Lord's calling out from Egypt. But they did not follow him into the land. See, many Christians repeat this same error today. They follow the Lord. He's led them out of spiritual death, of sin and guilt. They're out of Egypt. They're forgiven of their sins. They have new life in Christ. However, they do not follow the Lord into the land. They do not follow by faith into the abundance of life that God has promised them. Now, I would like to say that I know what the plan is for your life, but what I do know is that each step is with purpose, even if it's an unknown step. If you're hearing a calling on your life, if you're hearing God tell you something, you should be totally leaning into that calling. God has a plan for each and every one of you can stand up. God, I just ask you. You don't care about your heads. Now you might be like the Israelites were at first. You might still be in Egypt. You might not have experienced the freedom of God. You might be saying, Casey, I, I am not I don't even know Jesus. I just want to join this journey and start being able to find my way, find my way home into the promised land. If that's you, put up your hand real quick. Amen. 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 We're going to say a prayer real quick, and then I'm going to give another altar call. And I want everybody to say this with them, because this is about a family. This is about victory. This is about claiming another person. So say, Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me out of Egypt. Thank you for sending your son to die for me and I'm raised from the dead. Thank you for bringing me out of Egypt and into the promised land. In Jesus' name, amen. Got another one. that you might feel like you're a Christian. You might know you're a Christian, but you might not be working in the fullness of God. You know that he has other plans for your life. You know that you're just not fully committed to him. 
you might think, hey, I know that there's other things I should be doing. I know there's other places I should be going. I feel like he's calling me to do this. Or you might just say, hey, I want to quit approaching every day with mediocrity, and I want to be used in the fullness of God. If that's you, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Prayer team, will you come up here? Because I want to pray with you personally. There's other people that want to pray for you. We want you to realize, because I think that everybody here has some shoes they need to start stepping into. Since I've already called out people, I guess I will. Jalen, you were meant to step into some shoes just because you, you were not meant to feel inadequate, unworthy. Like you don't have a father that loves you, you have shoes to step into and there is you will step into greatness. So if you, if any of y'all right now, we're going to come down and I want y'all to pray. I, I want to pray and if, the, you, and if the people come down here, I want you to run here with them. Just like Bruce came here earlier, man, they should, people should know they are not doing this alone. Amen. So on the count of three, I want you to come down here and get some prayer. One, two, three.